They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came in. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on the head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look inside the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they took him away, my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She told them what he had said to her. When it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. What an incredible story. That is the story of Resurrection Sunday as told by John. And I hope as you listen to that story being read by uh, people who represent all of our campuses and uh, the incredible kingdom diversity that's being built here at Forest Hill, I hope you heard something uh, interesting this time that I heard this year. It was this. You notice how every character that got introduced in the story, Jesus came to with the unbelievable news of his rise from the dead, that he came to each of them uniquely, personally, and individually. I mean, think about it, from Peter and John that got a chance to go check out the grave, and John really, it looked like, needed Peter's bravery to be able to get in there first. But once there, John looks, sees the grave closed and the empty grave there, and says, I believe. Now, 
it might not have taken, or at least he wasn't very vocal about it, because we find out that just shortly after that, here they are, the friends of Jesus, called the disciples, they're gathered up in this room, behind locked door, out of fear, we're told, sheltering in place, and Jesus has to walk into that room and speak to them peace. But that's what they needed at that moment. And then there's Mary. And many of you, maybe you resonate with her because she's so brokenhearted over this tragedy. She's in such grief that as she looks there thinking about how this is going to affect her, one of the things that runs through her mind is, I don't even have a place to come and in memory just be with my Savior. Not only is he gone from me physically, but I don't even have a headstone. (laughs) Jesus, he had something way better in mind than a headstone. He meets her there in the garden. And to her broken heart, he speaks comfort. He speaks wholeness. And he gives her exactly what she needs. See, Jesus always meets us right where we are with exactly what we need from this same story that's been told all over the world. So I believe that's true for you today. That no matter how many times you've heard it, no matter how old you are or what school you go to or or how this has affected you before, today it can mean something new. There can be life that comes from Resurrection Sunday. So to help you understand why, I want to talk to you about why you want this to be true, why you need this to be true. And to do so, I'm going to look at three events and the effects that they've had on the whole world. You know, most of the time in today's world, it seems like uh, we can kind of guess, predict how something is going to impact us, you know, who it's going to affect and and how long it's going to last and how it'll end. It almost feels like everything's under control until it's not. But some events have such outsized effects and impact that nobody could have predicted what would happen. Let's start with the first one that we're all experiencing right now, COVID-19. I mean, a virus Really, could you have possibly imagined that this tiny, invisible-to-the-eye little strip of DNA that's not even considered alive, that once it got into one host and turned on and began to infect cell and replicate and, and do damage and then spread from that transaction on, could anybody have predicted that it would flip world financial markets upside down? <laughs> that it would grind to a halt um, supply chains and workforce Who would have guessed that this could take dads and turn them into homeschool teachers and turn moms into TikTok stars? I mean, and that's not even talking about the physical effects. Like, it's also, at this point, made millions of people sick with the infection and tens of thousands dead. Like, this event had a way bigger effect than we might have imagined. But the biggest effect of the whole thing, I think it's fear. And a particular kind of fear, it's fear of death. And that's something that's been true of humans in every age, all throughout time. Fear of death is common to being human. And that's kind of weird if you think about it. Like logically, if you just believe that, you know, people are part of the cycle of life, the circle of life, we just, we're born, we live, we die, and then we go on to the next, like this shouldn't be so scary. But there's something deep in the heart the fabric of what it means to be human, that knows that death is wrong, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we figure out all kinds of ways to try to push it off, to delay it, or to medicate and pretend like it's not there. But the fear of death plagues all of us. It lurks just beneath the shadows in the back of our minds. 
And you know where that came from? I'll tell you that by looking at the second event and its outsized effect. In the same way as you can think about this virus, could anybody imagine if you could like rewind the tape and go all the way back to the very beginning? Here it is, paradise. Um, This place called the Garden of Eden where everything that a human would need to live the life that God wants them to, which is better than any life you and I can dream of. All of it being right there and available. Not only that, but God is like hanging out, asking, let's work together on extending this paradise out into a wild world full of potential and possibility. And let's do it side by side, me and you. You can represent me. Let's do it together. I mean, we're told in scripture that at night, God would come and ask him how their day was. They had like face-to-face chats, the original FaceTime. That was happening with Adam and Eve. Could you have ever predicted that one moment of not trusting God, one act of disobedience, breaking just one rule, the only rule, that that could have done what it did to the entire universe? See, that moment, sin entered creation. And when it did, it turned everything on its head. And look, it's not even like Adam and Eve were, you know, planning this huge rebellion. In some ways, you look at that and you go, man, that is an outsized effect and impact for something so small. They got tricked. They got tempted to believe that God was holding out on them, that maybe he wasn't as good to them as, as they thought he was. And they just tried to taste and see if, if maybe the evil one was right. And it turned everything on its head. It affected their relationship with him and with each other and all of ours. It's affected weather patterns. It made things like viruses kill. Sin entering the universe has had such an outsized impact that everything it touches experiences the damaging corruption and effect of it. From our mental and emotional and physical health to finances and jobs. I mean, all of it. But ultimately, sin's end result is death. See, that that fear of death is legitimate because death is the physical decay, decomposition, and corruption that ultimately leads us to not just be physically but spiritually separated forever from God and from each other, cementing and sealing us in isolation. I mean, that's a scary thing. It's something that we should be afraid of. And possibly because it seems impossible to stop, uh, many of us have just given in to saying this is the way it's going to be. But death doesn't have to have the last word. See, that's what today is all about. There was another event that had a huge effect, the resurrection Easter effect. Here's what happened. I want to walk you through, because maybe you've heard this before and it's just kind of lost the power that it should have for all of us in our mind and our hearts. Let me tell you what the resurrection was and what it did and what it still does and what it'll do. And then finally, how we can embrace it and live life in light of it. Because here it is, the resurrection, this was not just like resuscitating Jesus, you know? I mean, other people in the past had uh, died and been brought back to life only to die again. And God had done that through Jesus with Lazarus just a couple of weeks before his own death. And the story of God is like littered with people who at one point tasted death and God brought them back. But they didn't stay alive. See, this was something totally different. What God chose to do that Easter morning, after Jesus had allowed death to work its full and final potential, after he had absorbed everything that death could do to a human, God came in and arrested the process of decay. 
He intervened and he reversed the process of decomposition and corruption. And he took Jesus' body. And he didn't just like get out the cosmic defib paddles and, you know, get the heart going again. And he didn't just cause his memory to come back. It wasn't just like reinstating his legacy and letting his spirit live on. God actually turned around death. And in that moment, he gave Jesus a transformed body, one that would carry forward his life, but now immortal. And and all of that happened in one instant on Sunday morning. And it's why we exist today as a church. It's why you should believe that this is true. It's the greatest story of hope because it's not just about one man coming back to life. It's too good to stop there. Here's, Here's what that meant. Here's what the resurrection did. See, Jesus had told uh, all along that he was going to end up going to die, that he would be crucified. And that death, even though he was completely innocent, that death would be the payment for sin. And, And every culture has always figured out that there is something that has to be done to remove guilt. We know it. We all feel guilt. And whether it's the highest religion or the most tribal form, you know, every culture figures out a way to handle the guilt and wrongdoing. And often, what has to happen is something's got to die. It's like we just know that for someone to keep their life when they're guilty, something else has to lose it. So there's been animal sacrifice, human sacrifices. I mean, that's a part of the story of humanity. And it was a part of God's story too. He said, hey, the way that we're going to take care of this is the perfect sinless man, Jesus, God, man together is going to live the life that all of us needed, that all of us couldn't, and that he's gonna die the death that all of us should have. And that death will take care of the guilt. How do we know that it worked? How do we know that it's true? That's the resurrection. See, all the other sacrifices always ended with the death. And then that was good enough until the next time, until you needed it again. But God in this moment pulled him out of the grave as if to say, Jesus, when you cried out on the cross, it is finished. The guilt has been taken care of. Forgiveness is complete. God said, yes, it is. And I'm bringing you back to life to prove it. It kind of reminds me of this. When I was a kid growing up, one of the acceptable punishments for breaking the rules of the house was to get sent to your room. Kind of like how we all feel right now, you know? And you'd stay in your room until mom or dad decided that that was long enough. But that was the punishment. Now, there were other punishments that were worse. So kids, make sure that if you're just getting sent to your room, that you're really grateful that's as far as it goes. But, you know, for some of us, that moment of being in our room seemed like forever. There were, there were hours, maybe. It's probably more like minutes. But it could have been a long time where we were in there. And, and the whole time you're in, you recognize that the punishment is still being carried out. The way that you know that the punishment is finished, that it's over, is when you come out of the room. It's like until then, you're not sure how mom feels about you, how dad feels about you. But at that moment, what they say is, that's enough. Taken care of. You're forgiven. That's an amazing thing. That's what God did to Jesus as he came out of the tomb. The empty room, in my case, is what showed me that mom was okay now. The empty tomb, in Jesus' case, shows us that God accepted his payment for all of the sin. That is incredible. So here's what this means for you. Look, uh, some of you are experiencing guilt right now. It it may not even be the most, the thing that you feel the most, the most uh, in front of your mind thing. It might be just this low level, uh, you're consciously aware of it because you cheated, because you stole, 
because you worked to destroy, because you didn't actually earn that grade, but nobody will know. Your mom and dad haven't found out about what you did. Nobody will know. Because you had that one night that you regret, because of whatever it is. Maybe, how about this? Maybe because uh, you know, even though everybody else looks at you and thinks you're really good, you do so many good things to help people, and I understand this, uh, you know deep down, sometimes you're doing it just for the credit. Like all of the guilt that lies underneath was taken care of with the resurrection. You don't have to feel it anymore. It's not that you don't have to feel it. You don't have to be guilty anymore. Jesus took all of our sin to the cross and nailed it there. Colossians 2.14 says this, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he's taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. It reminds me of um, Jessica and I just recently finished paying off some student loans. And for, uh, for many of you, maybe you have those or maybe you've got credit card debt or something. And you know how whenever you have a debt like that, you're always aware. You're, it's always like in the back of your mind that you have it. And, and you're reminded every month when it's time to pay it. And sometimes when you want to do something like take a vacation or buy something else, uh, you're reminded like, I can't do that because I still owe this debt. Well, the day that you finally pay it off and we just had this moment. It's like, you don't think about it again. You, you don't constantly remember, oh, this, it's like once it's done, you celebrate it and it's over. And then the only time that it even comes up is when you go to do something and you remember, I'm free. I can do this, I can take that vacation. That is what Christ did at the cross and what the resurrection promises is true. You don't have to be guilty anymore. That's what it did. And here's what it does. It didn't stop there. Like, that would have been enough, honestly. If we could go through life with a clean conscience, if you could just experience life without having to always think that somebody is about to find out your secret, that would be great. But, but here's what he does. He gives us what we term around here, the dynamic life of Christ. He allows us to live differently. See, when Jesus came out of that tomb, he was beginning the process of a new way of being human. It was showing us how we could live. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself that like caused Jesus to come out of the grave now, we're told, is residing in us when we trust in him and believe. It gives us power to live as he did. And think about that. That's all tied to not fearing death anymore. I mean, Jesus was constantly, it's almost like he just enjoyed feeding people and meeting their needs or healing them like, oh, you're sick, your eyes aren't working, watch this. He loved to bring the mercy and compassion of God and to make things that were wrong right. And he could do that even though people hated him for it because he wasn't afraid of death. Now, I don't mean that we just go around healing people, but I do mean that we can bring healing measures through taking care of those around us, that we can live lives that are more servant, um, that are more like God, that are more generous, that are more open-handed. We can do that instead of having to think about our current life in light of death. See, until we've gotten the fear of death taken care of, and the way that happens is by making peace with God, until that's done, like, we have to compartmentalize and do self-preservation. We need to medicate. Like, that's one way of living, and it's, it's not really life. It's not at all the kind of life, the resurrection life that God intended for us. But when you've tasted and experienced this power, the Easter effect, you can begin to live 
in ways that you only thought were possible before. You can begin to meet people's needs. You can be brave. You don't have to be in charge of your own preservation because God ultimately is the one holding our preservation, preserving us and our life. Here's what it does. Um, It says in Hebrews 2.15 that we have all, as children, had flesh and blood in common that we shared with Jesus so that through his death he might destroy the one who holds the power of death and, get this, free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. See, do you ever imagine Jesus walking around saying like, just wish I knew how to fix that relationship that got broken. I wish, I wish there was some way I had enough grace to kind of uh, take care of that thing. I, I wish I could just get over uh, this destructive habit. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to not have this crippling fear. No, because he had the power of the resurrection. You and I can experience that too. That's, that's what the rex- resurrection does. But then here's also what it will do. Because one day in the future, this effect doesn't stop with just our life on this side of eternity. That's what's incredible, you know? A virus, at some point we know COVID-19 is going to end. Like it will have finally reached its zenith and it will be over. The impact will have stopped. Sin, it comes for everybody, but the ultimate end is death. And that's where it stops. But get this, the Easter effect, it takes us beyond death. See, it allows us to live a life of guilt-free and forgiveness. It allows us to live a life empowered, to, to overcome those things that are keeping us from the life that God wants and to live as he would. But it also promises us a future that we can't even imagine. Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God has in store for us. It's called the inheritance. Like God through Christ has done everything for us so that now we can just be sons and daughters. We can be known by that identity and we can share in everything he has for the future. I don't know what eternity is gonna be like exactly, but I know this. I know that every moment of it, we will taste with Jesus at our side because of the Easter effect. But here's the thing. That sounds good, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to live that way? Now, if you could know that that was true, if you could experience that truth, how would it change the way you live tomorrow? Because here's the the deal. The Easter effect is the only one of these three that we get to choose how it impacts us. You can't choose how a virus will affect you, and it affects everyone in different ways. You can't choose how sin will affect you. The fear of death leads to death. But we get a choice of whether or not to live in this resurrection life that Jesus came to bring. It's as if we are in the grave with him. And whatever got you in that grave, for many of us, if you've never accepted Christ before, if you've never embraced his offer and invitation of accepting and trading his life for yours, if you've never done that, today's the day to do it. But look, you may be in that grave because you've never trusted. You may be in there right now because you have believed in Jesus, but you've forgotten that this life is possible and you've allowed yourself to get distracted and to be discouraged and to allow fear to drive. And you don't have to anymore. Jesus has opened up that tomb and walked out into the full light of resurrection. And he asked us if we wanna walk out and follow him into it as well. So where do you need this today? Are you still experiencing guilt? Do you know that you're still guilty? 
You can allow him today by simple trust to let his life, death, and his resurrection say you're done, you're forgiven, it's finished. If you're wondering how to live life differently, how to restart, because brokenheartedness or tragedy or something else, disappointment has put you in this place where you've forgotten what's possible, you can start over today, follow him out. You can allow this resurrection life, the Easter effect to come into your life. And so I wanna pray in a couple of ways. And, and I wanna ask you, um, if you are a person who this is the beginning for you, like you want this, but maybe like some of the disciples, you're not certain if you know enough yet or if you trust enough yet and you wanna have a further conversation. Look, there's a number we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to carry the conversation forward. You can text the number that's on the screen and we would love to continue this in a one-on-one way with you. But if you're ready to pray this, if you're ready to allow Christ's resurrection to filter into and impact your entire life, I want you to pray with me right now. And you can pray something like this. In Romans 10, 9, it says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Father, I ask now that for any that say, today is my day to trust. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm done with living this life of unforgiveness. I'm tired of trying to make up for things and earn things, and I simply want to be free. And Father, I pray right now as they confess with their mouth that you are Lord, and as they believe, the kind of belief that leads to following, active following God, that you would bring new life into dead places right now save those who pray that prayer right now. And Father, for those who need strength today, would you meet them like you did the disciples? For those with fear in living rooms and offices, would you speak peace to us now like you did then? For for those that are facing incredible heartbreak, who just can't seem to take a step, can't seem to move out of the grief, would you comfort the way that you did Mary in this story? For those facing incredibly difficult circumstances in the days to come and they know it, God, would you give resurrection power to live a life that looks like yours in spite of the circumstances, that allows us to maintain hope where things seem dark. And as we follow you, our risen Lord, out of our graves into the life that we were destined to live, would you make us aware of the brilliance the Easter effect today and every day to come until we are with you again forever. Amen.